1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your word shines bright today as it was when it was first penned. And Lord, we ask that you would make that special commandment to shine in our hearts, to give the knowledge of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Matthew chapter seven, verse Matthew, the last verse in chapter seven, and then bleeding over coming over to um, the first verse of chapter eight. So Matthew 7:29. And we're going to read the first four verses of the eighth chapter, 729, last verse in chapter seven, and the first four verses of chapter eight. So, Matthew 729. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Okay, so where we are right now is we're at the point, we're now seeing what happened to the Lord as he came down off the mount when he gave his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're considering now from this verse the effect that his teaching had on the people. And what he said in the Sermon on the Mount had a profound effect, it moved the people. And the effect is really summarized in that verse, and that's why I wanted to start with it this morning. In that last verse in chapter seven, he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. It tells us there was an important takeaway that the people had where they were impressed with when they heard him teach. And the word that stuck in their minds as they were walking down the hillside, as they kept thinking in their minds, authority, authority, authority. They couldn't get over the fact that the Lord taught them with an authority that they hadn't seen before. They never saw this authority in their normal teachers, the scribes. The scribes, they taught the scriptures, but there was an agenda with their teaching. Their agenda was imposing rules imposing laws, all designed to keep the people in a state of submission to them, to bring them under. But by contrast, the Lord taught them differently. You know, when I think about how the Lord taught with authority, I remember it just brings something to mind. And before I came to UCSD to study biochemistry, I studied science at Miami University of Ohio, Oxford, Ohio. Now, the difference between Miami University and UCSD is that Miami, was not a research school. So all of my professors, they taught about research studies that others had done. But in 1970, when I came to San Diego, it's just a young school, UCSD, I was in a third graduating class. And when I came there to study biochemistry, I was amazed, because I just come from Miami, at the difference, because at UCSD, I had professors who were teaching about research studies that they had either done or were in the middle of doing. And what a difference that was because there was a difference between the professors who were talking about their own work and the professors who were talking about the work that others had done at Miami. And so the UCSD professors, what I noticed is that there was an excitement to them were so excited to talk about their research studies and what they had done, and, and as they were speaking, they very obvious, they, they were talking about, I myself designed the experiments, and I myself did these experiments, and I myself made these observations. Now, that was over 50 years ago, and to this day, because of them, because of what happened 50 years ago, I'm excited about scientific research, because they removed, in their excitement, any vestige of fear and intimidation about science you don't understand and you can't understand, you're not a scientist. No, they brought you into being a scientist and it made me want to uh, subsequently get on the cutting edge of scientific discovery. Now, they were so enthusiastic talking about the work that they had done, the experiments and so forth, and that they had infused a wonder about what could hope to be discovered. Now, they were the professors that inspired me to go into a career of research, first in academia, and then in applied research in in manufacturing for diagnostic products. And so, if you were to ask me what was the difference between my science teachers at UCSD and my science professors at Miami University, I would say the difference is what's stated in chapter seven, verse 29. The professors at UCSD taught me as having authority and not as the professors at Miami University. And that was the difference because the UCSD professors taught, they were the authors of the science and the professors at Miami, they were the readers of science. And that's exactly the impression that the people had as they left the Sermon on the Mount. Just as I listened to the professors at UCSD, I knew I was listening to the authors And when the people listened to the Lord Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, they knew they were listening to the author of the Bible. And so what I saw was that those professors, they taught with the authority of an author. For example, of course, this never really happened, but they would never have to pause their lectures and say, well, let me just a minute, let me go consult this book, make sure I got it right. You know, that never happened. Because those UCSD professors were the source of the book, and they taught from their heart. Those UCSD professors had an authority because they did the work they were talking about. And in the same way, the Lord Jesus didn't have to pause in a Sermon on my and say, well, let me, let me just look at the scriptures, make sure I got this right. But he didn't do it because he's the author, the author of the Bible. He was the one who put the words into the hearts and the mouths of the prophets who then wrote down the Bible. So in the first chapter of John, in the very same way, the Lord Jesus is entitled with the term the word, because those were his words that were written in the Bible. And that was the authority that the people saw. And just as those UCSD professors inspired me to become like them, research of science, so the Lord Jesus inspired the people who were there on the Sermon on the Mount. They wanted to be like him. They wanted to be like him. They wanted to have their lives line up in parallel with the Bible. Why? Verse 29. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. But there was another effect that the words of the Lord Jesus had on the Sermon on the Mount. And that's seen in this history of the leper. He's very important because the leper, when he heard the words of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, something happened in his dead soul. And what happened? there was in this leper a resurrection in him. Out of this grave, the cemetery inside this leper, the cemetery of his dead dreams. And You can just picture inside the, the leper like there was a cemetery and there would be these different tombstones over these graves. You know, here's the tombstone that said, here lies, here lies my hope of being healed. Here, and he comes to another tombstone and says, here lies my hope of living a normal life. Another tombstone says, here lies my hope of being married and having children and so forth. It's a cemetery of graves of the dead. And this is what he's lived in, this cemetery of dead dreams in his life. But when he hears the Lord Jesus speak, there's a resurrection. There's a resurrection out of those graves begins now to come out of the dust and the ashes of those graves, rises up new hope. It was a hope. You know, there was a grave said, here lies my hope of ever being cleansed. And now rising up out of that grave is a resurrected hope of being cleansed. And this all happened because of the words of the Lord Jesus, courage rose in his heart out of the grave. It's this living hope, it's this living courage that spurred this leper on to fight his way through the crowds to get to the Lord Jesus. It's this living hope, this living courage that's been resurrected out of the graves that causes this leper to have such a strong faith, such a strong faith in the Lord Jesus applied to his own condition. And that's why living hope, rising out of his dead dreams, this leper is a picture He's a picture of the living hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ that Peter describes in 1 Peter one three. 1 Peter one three, where Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, just as that leper had a living hope that was resurrected out of his dead dreams, so a living hope, or if you like, a resurrected hope has happened in us from our dead dreams by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus rose from the grave, the dead rose out of the grave to be alive, that was the living hope that Peter's referring to here when he says, He has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What rose out of that tomb when the Lord Jesus was resurrected was our dead dreams, our dead hopes, just like in this leper, our dead hopes of ever getting into heaven, our dead hopes of ever being forgiven for our sins, our dead hopes of ever being accepted by God. That's what rose out of our grave, and we followed him, when he was risen from the dead out of the grave. So just this leper has this living hope that's resurrected out of his dead dreams, and this living hope is primarily, I can be healed, I can be cleansed. I hope to be healed, I hope to be cleansed. And this drives him to push his way through the crowds just as this living hope drives us into an action that's described in 1 John three, 3 1 John 3.3, 3. 1 John 3.3 3 says, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This verse is telling us in 1 John 3.3 3, that it's the living hope within us. It's the hope that's been resurrected out of the, the grave of our dead dreams. This living hope, I'm gonna see Jesus, that's a hope that's alive because he was raised from the dead. This living hope in us drives us to do something that we otherwise would not have done, purify ourselves, purify ourselves as he is pure. And so the living hope drives us to purify ourselves. Now, just as the living hope in that leper drove him to action, living hope in us drives us to action. That's the explanation for where did this leper get that chutzpah? Where did he get that drive, that nerve, to press his way through as an unclean person? He's gotta yell, unclean, cover, and so forth. He pressed his way, and the drama of that scene of the leper pushing his way to the crowds there is no less of a drama than if that leper had pressed himself into the tabernacle. If that leper had pressed himself into the tabernacle, everybody's shocked. He's out of court. What are you doing here? Presses his way into the holy place. What are you doing here? And then finally presses his way into the holy of holies. That's what we have in verse 2 of chapter 8, is this leper arriving, so to speak, by analogy, into the holy of holies, when before the Lord Jesus, we read in verse 2, and behold, there came a leper, verse 2, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. So there that leper is. He's before the Lord Jesus, just as if he's pushed his way through the court, the holy place, into the holy of holies. He's pushed his way through that thick curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. And now, before the Lord Jesus, he's before the mercy seat where the cherubim have stretched their wings over it, and he's there, and he's worshiping the Lord. All because of the living hope. The point is, the living hope drove him. And that's not all the living hope did. The living hope that was in him, that resurrected by the words of the Lord Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, the living hope now drives him to a faith. A faith in verse two. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. That's faith, that's faith. Faith says, if thou wilt, thou makes me clean. That's the words of faith. If thou wilt, thou canst. Thou canst is the words of faith. That's the opposite of the words of unbelief. Unbelief doesn't say, if thou wilt. The words of faith are, if thou wilt, thou canst. The words of the opposite are just, if thou canst, not if thou wilt, but if thou canst. That's unbelief. So there's no question, this, this leper, there's no question in his mind as to the ability of the Lord Jesus. He knows the Lord can heal him. And the Lord was very pleased with that man's faith, that man's faith in the ability of the Lord to heal him. And the Lord healed him in verse three. And the Lord said, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So now... The Lord then tells the leper to do something very unusual, very unusual in verse four. And Jesus saith unto him, see thou tell no man, but go thy way. Get those words. Jesus said to him, don't tell a soul. See thou tell no man. Go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now, to be clear, just to be clear about this, a few more words just to make it clear. Parallel passage in Mark 144, Mark 144, Mark 144 says, same event, and Jesus and saith unto him, see thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest. So here we have it. Matthew, see thou tell no man, and just to be very clear about what the Lord said in, in Mark one forty four, He said, see, thou say nothing, not a word, to any man, any man. That means any man, <laughs> nothing means nothing. You say nothing to any man, nothing about what happened. And he goes on in Mark one forty four. it says, show thyself the priest, offer for thy cleansing things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now, it's not exactly what happened, because in Mark 1, 45, Mark 1, 45, he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in the desert places, and they came to him from a quarter. All right, so several scenes are going on in this act here, but we want to just sort of focus on his command. See thou tell no man. Say nothing to any man. Very clear directive, very clear instructions. Don't tell anybody. And the question is, why? Why? Why not? Why would not the Lord want the whole world to hear from this man what the Lord done for him? I mean, after all, the Lord said that his mission, Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10 was for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, if that's his mission, then why in the world would the Lord Jesus not want the lost to hear and come to him because of the healing of this leper? Why? What's behind this? What's behind this when the Lord told the healed leper not to tell anyone that the Lord had healed him. Why in the world would not the, 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 the Lord not want everyone to know that he'd healed the leper? Well this gets back to a fundamental issue and it has to do with how the Lord deals with each person individually and personally. Now we can see this when we look at um, a person who has fled to Jehovah Jesus for refuge. Great chapter, great psalm that describes all this is Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's a picture of a person who has fled to God. And commenting on this person and God and what happens between this person and God, this great psalm, it's very important to see in this psalm that the Lord is not talking about a group of people who have run to God for protection. The first word in this psalm is the word he. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. He, and that sets the theme for what is being described here is the relationship between an individual, one person. It's talking about a personal one-person relationship between that one person and God. So the psalm opens with this focus on one person and the psalm ends in the last three verses with a continued focus on the one person the individual who has fled to God the last three verses psalm 91:14 psalm 91:14 because he hath set his hope upon his love upon me therefore will I deliver him i will set him on high because he hath known my name he shall call upon me i will answer him i will be with him in trouble i will deliver him and honor him with long life will i satisfy him and show him my salvation you see all those words all those singular pronouns there that he has set his love, and I will deliver him, and I'll set him, he hath known, he shall call. I will answer him, I will be with him, I'll deliver him, I'll honor him. With long life will I satisfy him, and him, show him my salvation. It's all about he, his, and him, and not about they, their, and them. And the point is that the Lord calls his people, he calls people one by one, as it says in Isaiah 27, 12. Isaiah 27, 12 You shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel. The Lord does not call a group. He calls individuals. The Lord does not gather groups of people. He gathers individual people one by one. The Lord is not interested in sweeping crowds into the kingdom. He's interested in bringing many sons to glory one by one. As it says in Hebrews 2.10, Hebrews 2.10, says, for it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory. So how does the Lord bring many sons to glory? By a personal seeking, a personal calling, a personal saving people one by one. And this was the grand error of those who had the most tragic deception that anyone can have in life, of thinking they were going to heaven when they weren't. And they were thinking because they thought, I am a part of the correct group of people.
1: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org.